The following is an old, anonymous, policeman's prayer to St. Michael. St. Michael, heaven's glorious commissioner of police, who once so neatly and successfully cleared God's premises of all undesirables, look with a kindly and professional eye on your earthly force. Give us cool heads, stout hearts, hard punches, and an uncanny flair for investigation and wise judgment. Make us the terror of burglars, the friend of children, and the law-abiding citizens. Kind to strangers, polite to bores, strict with lawbreakers, and impervious to temptations. You know, St. Michael, from your own experiences with the devil, that the policeman's lot on earth is not always a happy one, but your sense of duty that so please God, your hard knocks that so surprise the devil, and your angelic self-control gives us inspiration. And when we lay down our nightsticks, enroll us in your heavenly force, where we will be as proud to guard the throne of God as we have been to guard the city of men. Amen. So, how did this prayer come about? Well, keep listening to find more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast, Smoking with the Saints. My name is Michael Hanlon, and I will be your host for the show. I'm so excited to be doing this. This is the first episode of Smoking with the Saints podcast, something that I've been uh, thinking of for quite some time, and I am very excited to get this off the ground, and I'm glad to have you all here. So why am I here? Why am I recording this podcast? So I wanted to record a regular podcast that presents the life of one saint to to everyone and to myself so that I can learn and we can learn about who they were and be inspired to grow in holiness. So I'm a a passionate Catholic and I also love history. And so I think learning about some of these Catholic saints is awesome. It's uh, incredible some of the things that they've done. And so I wanted to bring that to life in this podcast and also blend in my hobby for pipe smoking and other fine tobacco. So uh, talking about what the saint might have smoked if they had access to tobacco in their life, uh, fun things like that. So um, and also using this podcast as a way to spread the knowledge of Christ's church and the joy and virtues witnessed by these saints. So hopefully, by God's grace, that will be done. Uh, but without further ado, let's get into the saint that we'll be talking about today, St. Michael the Archangel. Now, the source book that we'll be using for today's episode is titled St. Michael the Archangel by James F. Day. And this has been a great book. It was actually a gift from my grandfather, and uh, this, after I read it, I thought this would be a great source for the, the saint's life. Uh, and talking about St. Michael. So uh, just getting right into the book and definitely pick it up. It's a great one. It's not too long, but it's uh, it's pretty detailed in what it covers. So starting in section of the book, beginning, uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church is unambiguous in its description of angels as a point of faith. The existence of the spiritual non-corporeal beings that sacred scripture usually calls angels is a truth of faith. And there's a quote from St. Augustine in here, so it says, quote, Angel is the name of their office, not of their nature. If you seek the name of their nature, it is spirit. If you seek the name of their office, it is angel. From what they are, spirit. From what they can do, angel. 
With their whole beings, the angels are servants and messengers of God because they, quote, always behold the face of my Father in heaven, end quote. They are the mighty ones who do his word, hearkening to the voice of his word, end quote. So the nature and mission of these beings from the moment of their creation by God was and remains adoration of their very creator. Their primary goal of fostering repentance and conversion is summarized by Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, quote, I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents, end quote. And the author goes on to describe how uh, they have role as messengers, like St. Gabriel the Archangel, and they have an ability to don human form in order to guard and protect, such as St. Raphael in the Book of Tobit, or the angel and Habakkuk in the Book of Daniel. Also, there are abundant appearances in the life of Jesus, from announcing his birth to including his passion and death and the empty tomb. So angels are scattered all over the place in Scripture. Uh, Moving on, uh, the author has a quote from St. Thomas on angels, and St. Thomas Aquinas writes in De Celesti Hierarchia, the celestial hierarchy, quote, In perpetual purity they encompass his eternal knowledge in that most high and eternal angelic dance wrapped in the bliss of manifold blessed contemplations and irradiated with pure and primal splendors, end quote. Ah, oh, leave it to St. Thomas to use the most glorious vocab words. Uh, let's see, moving on. So the order of angels, we have, uh, as the author notes, the supreme hierarchy, which starts with number one, the seraphim, then cherubim, then thrones. And then moving to the middle hierarchy, you have dominions, virtues, or authorities. Actually, i never heard of authorities before. Uh, then powers. And then in the lower hierarchy, you have principalities, archangels, and angels. And all of these celestial creatures, only three angels are mentioned by name in sacred scripture. These three are part of the same choir, but from the second lowest branch in the hierarchy of angels, that of archangels. Uh, He goes on to say, Indeed, contrary to popular thought, archangels are viewed as only one notch above the choir of angels, a far cry from the heightened status of seraphim and cherubim. And yet, because three archangels are singled out by name in Scripture, they have been venerated throughout history, and their angelic holiness merited the title of saint. And their names are quite familiar to us, And to this podcast, St. Gabriel, St. Raphael, and St. Michael. So let's talk about St. Michael. Uh, So uh, moving on, another quote is, Michael seems to have served in relative obscurity within the eighth choir of angels, the archangels, as we read in the epistle of St. Jude, quote, But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, disputed about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a reviling judgment upon him, but said, the Lord rebuke you, end quote. Uh, and uh, we also have another example of St. Michael from Scripture in Revelation. So Revelation 12 details Michael leading the good angels against this rebellion by the devil. And quote from the Scripture is, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they were defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. 
and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. End quote. Uh, and Michael's heroics in this war cemented his role as intercessor, protector, and guide for both nations and individuals. Now, the word Michael, that is Hebrew, and spelled out it's Mikael, which means who is like God, and in Latin it is quis ut Deus. And what's awesome about it is that it is a question, it is not an answer. The one who uh, is like God, because he is God, is Jesus Christ. And uh, just a personal note, I I love, I just had a, a great thought the other day that whenever someone says the name Michael, in a way they are they are repeating the question, who is like God? And in a way they are they are praising God. They are they are further cementing that notion that there is no other like God. So I just like that idea. So uh, get out there, name your kids Michael, please. Uh, let's see. Uh, talking about St. Michael as the guardian of Israel. So uh, there is um, a, a quote in the book that mentions uh, how um, the kingdom of Persia was attacking Israel. And Gabriel speaks to Daniel in the book of Daniel of Michael's role as guardian of Israel, uh, continuing until the end of time. And quote on that is, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as has never been seen since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. End quote. So we can see from the Bible that Michael is playing a, a key role in the safeguarding of God's people, uh, especially even in Jewish apocrypha writings, like the work uh, of uh, the Testament of Abraham, which uh, features St. Michael defending the Israelites. Uh, now, moving on uh, to a chapter, The Rise of Devotion to St. Michael. So, author mentions that an archangel's primary functions in the life of faith is to, one, to do battle against Satan and his minions. Number two, to defend the faithful from Satan's temptations and clutches, including at death. And number three, to be the chief protector of the people of God. So devotion to St. Michael in the Christian church goes back to the early church. Uh, you had, um, uh, you know, St. Michael being the defender of Israel. So his, his, his role was already there and understood by the, by the Jews. And so after Christ came and established the, the Christian church, uh, this devotion was there. And it's especially exemplified later on when Emperor Constantine had a vision uh, that a shrine be converted to the devotion of St. Michael. So this was at the time when he was campaigning in the area we understand now as Turkey and uh, Anatolia. 
uh, the modern state of Turkey and the, the geographic area of Anatolia. So, quote, uh, Constantine visited a pagan temple attributed to the legendary Argonauts. According to Greek myth as related by Malalas, the Argonauts were attempting to access the Black Sea and were chased by Amicus, the son of Poseidon and Melia. Uh, and they were granted a vision of an ethereal creature with wings, with the promise of victory. Um, and so the emperor and his forces, when they were camped at this shrine, uh, Constantine, legend has it, encountered a vision that the Sosenios shrine was to be transformed in honor of St. Michael. And so was established Michaelion, a highly popular pilgrimage site with healings and miracles attributed to Michael's intercession. Today, Michaelion is known as the Church of the Great Archangels, and devotion to Michael rapidly spread, with up to 15 churches dedicated to St. Michael in the metropolis of Constantinople alone. Yes, the Byzantines, they were a fan of St. Michael, definitely. Uh, moving on, another example of devotion to St. Michael is Michael at Gargano in Italy. So, Quote, 30, mi- 30 kilometers north of the Italian coastal city of Manfredonia, Manfredonia on the Adriatic Sea, about 350 kilometers from Rome near San Giovanni Rotondo, now known as the burial site of Padre Pio, sits a sanctuary atop a mountain, the sanctuary of Monte Sant'Angelo sul Gargano. This particular shrine laid the foundation for devotion to Michael in the West, the remarkable origin story of this sanctuary was compiled by an anonymous author in the ninth century. And so, continue on about that, that um, account, it goes, It is the beginning of the last decade of the 5th century. Lawrence of Siponto is a local bishop. A wealthy farmer of the region, Garganus, has lost one of his bowls and is climbing the slopes of his lands for the animal. To his utter surprise, he finally finds the bull kneeling at a grotto on the mountaintop. Unable to coax the beast away from his prayer-like posture, the land baron aims his bow and arrow at the bull. Yet somehow when he releases the arrow in a sudden gust in a sudden gust of wind, the arrow completely changes course, striking Garganus himself. This bizarre scenario perplexed all who heard it, including Bishop Lawrence, to discern the truth of Garganus's claim. Bishop Lawrence practiced three days of prayer and fasting. On May 8th, 490, he experienced a dream involving St. Michael. Quote, By this sign I am watching over and guarding this place, end quote, the angel told him in the vision. The grotto was de- destined to become a holy site in the region, but Bishop Lawrence was still uncertain in spite of the vision from the archangel himself. Shortly thereafter, the region was in the midst of attacking pagan forces from Naples called the Neapolitans, not the candy. Uh, this invasion of Monte Gargano was followed by an earthquake, lightning and heavenly sent arrows mowing down the enemy Let's just take a moment to, to pause on that. So you're a Neapolitan, right? And you're you're attacking this uh, this mountain, and then all of a sudden there's an earthquake, there's lightning, and then there's arrows coming down from the sky on you. I I think at that point you just you just give up. As you you just call it a day and you go home. Anyways, back to the book. So 
Footprints of Michael himself were claimed to be imprinted into the rock of the grotto, rock deemed holy, indeed, quote, not made by human hands, end quote. The date of victory over the Neapolitans was September 29th. It is believed Michael and the angels themselves consecrated the grotto on September 29th, 493, before eyewitnesses, including bishops. They found in place an altar covered by a red cloth and a crucifix set upon it. Pieces of the altar cloth relic, as will be seen later in chapter, thank you, author, were later sent to other places of dedication to St. Michael to unite them with Gargano. And on the church's calendar, May 8th became designated as the Feast of the Apparition of St. Michael, while September 29th, the dedication of the Grotto in 493, became St. Michael's own feast day, Michaelmas Day. Yes. Uh, The sanctuary to St. Michael on Mount Gargano, the oldest shrine dedicated to the archangel in Western Christendom, was so venerated and considered so holy that St. Francis of Assisi, traveling to the site on pilgrimage, considered himself unworthy to enter the cave. Huh, think about that. But also, yes, Michaelmas is awesome, and uh, I think it's something that should be brought back and celebrated more fervently, almost like Christmas in a way. So we'll talk about that in later. Now, another appearance by St. Michael to Christians occurs in 590. So at this time, there was a horrific plague that was ravaging Rome. Pope Gregory, at the time, led a penitential procession through the city, praying for mercy from God. Now, to the book. While the procession crossed the Aelian Bridge over the Tiber, In the shadow of Hadrian's tomb, the massive, imposing fortress built by the Roman Emperor Hadrian in AD 139, a heavenly choir intoning the Regina Celi directed the procession's gaze skyward, to which Pope Gregory responded, Ora pro nobis Deum, Alleluia, which in English means, Queen of Heaven, rejoice, Alleluia. The son you merited to bear, Alleluia, has risen as he said, Alleluia. Pray to God for us. Alleluia. Now Gregory then saw above the mausoleum the glorious and fearless St. Michael clean blood from his sword and sheath it. And it was believed the plague ended at that moment. Now afterward, uh, Pope Boniface IV, who reigned from 608 to 615, installed a chapel atop Hadrian's mausoleum in thanksgiving for the miracle of April 25th, 590. A statue of St. Michael was installed at the summit of the mausoleum in the spot where Gregory saw the archangel. It was renamed Castel Sant'Angelo and remains a powerful fixture of the Roman landscape to this day. So when you're in Rome and you're going to St. Peter's Basilica in that area of the Vatican, there is a long boulevard where if you walk out of St. Peter's and you walk through St. Peter's Square past the obelisk outside of the columns, there's this long boulevard that heads straight and pretty much across from St. Peter's, you know, a little, little ways away, you have Castel Sant'Angelo. And it is a, uh, it's a beautiful structure if you've ever been to Rome. And if you haven't, you probably should go. Now, we can't leave the French out of this story because St. Michael and the French have a special relationship. So, another appearance 
by St. Michael to the Christians occurred during the reign of Charlemagne. So, to the book, the influence of St. Michael on Charlemagne manifested itself in other concrete and far-reaching ways. 1. After Charlemagne's conquest of the Lombards, the intense devotion of St. Michael that had developed at Monte Gargano in Apulia spread north. Charlemagne was advised by an Englishman named Cathwolf to not discourage the cult of Michael and denounce it as something unique to the Lombards, but rather publicly celebrate St. Michael in the kingdom. Charlemagne, in his edict Admonitio Generalis in 789, established the Feast of St. Michael, September 29th, Michael Miss Day, to be observed throughout the whole of Francia. Thank you, Charlemagne. Good idea. For October 16th, the Feast of the Dedication of Mont Saint-Michel, the magnificent shrine of St. Michael, that will be discussed later on, Charlemagne approved this preface to the Sacramentary for Frankish Liturgies. Quote, it is proper that on this day we proclaim the merits of St. Michael the Archangel, for however much we are to venerate all the angels who stand in the presence of your majesty, it is proper that in this celestial order the warrior angel deserves the first rank. And during Charlemagne's rule, battle standards were created featuring an image of Michael with the Latin words Patronus et Princeps Imperii Galliarium patron and prince of the empire of the Gauls. Michael's influence is again evident in the work of Alcuin, a priest and chief scholar in the school at Charlemagne's palace in Aachen. When he composed Sequencia de Santo Michael, citing Michael as chief citizen of heaven, and included these stirring words, quote, You, when you scattered the fierce dragon with your strong hand, plucked many souls from his jaws, End quote. And he ends by directly beseeching Michael, quote, Hear us, Michael, greatest angel, come down here a little from your heavenly throne to bring us the help and solace of the mercy of the Lord. Now, moving on to a very famous figure in French history and another Catholic saint, which I will be doing an episode on at a later time, we have St. Joan of Arc and St. Michael. Now, St. Joan of Arc, later in her life, when she had been captured by the English and was being interrogated, she told her interrogators that when first encountering St. Michael, she was so sure it was he simply because he announced himself quite clearly, quote, I am Michael, the protector of France. Four years later, this obscure young peasant commanded the successful French siege at Orléans, about 120 kilometers southwest of Paris. The English surrendered on May 8th, 1429, the same day as the Feast of the Apparition of St. Michael on Monte Gargano. Another successful and important battle for French forces, led by Joan, the Battle of Pate, was fought the following month on June 18th. In Constantinople's Church of St. Julian in the Orthodox East, June 18th was traditionally regarded as one of the feasts venerating St. Michael. Even in prison, St. Michael did not abandon Joan. Quote, I heard his voice yesterday and today in the morning and at Vespers and at the Ave Maria, and I have heard him much more often, Joan testified. Now, not only has St. Michael left a symbolic spiritual impression upon Christians, but there is also a physical geographical impression. So this is called the Sword of St. Michael. 
and go into the book. This geographic line stretching from the windswept isles of Ireland all the way to the holy land of Israel. So what is this? So this is, if you're looking at a map of Europe, you'll see starting all the way in the bottom left corner, the southwest corner of, uh, of Ireland. And if you place a dot on the map, and then you take a ruler and you and you place it from that point all the way to Israel the the very coastline of Israel you'll see as we as we as I'll describe it there is a line of shrines and associated places of devotion to St Michael that line up almost perfectly in this line and it's known as the sword of St Michael so the first one is Skellig Michael in Ireland, which, fun fact, was a shooting place for The uh, Last Jedi, Star Wars The Last Jedi. There was also St. Michael's Mount in Cornwall, England, Mont Saint-Michel in Normandy, Sacra di San Michel in Turin, Italy, Monte Gargano in Apulia, Archangel Michael of Panoramitis Monastery in Greece, and Stella Maris Monastery in Haifa, Israel. These all combine to form the so-called Sword of St. Michael. This nickname derived from the legend that the line represents Michael delivering the decisive blow that hurtled Satan from heaven. Quote, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. End quote. We recall Christ's assertion in the Gospel of Luke. Each of the seven sanctuaries supplanted old pagan temples and shrines designed to specifically welcome the sunset of the summer solstice. Christ, the Son of God, was now the focus of worship through devotion to St. Michael. Remarkably, the formation of this sword of St. Michael was utterly unintentional. But as Pope John Paul II once said, in the designs of providence, there are no mere coincidences. Now, continuing on from Ireland and Skellig Michael, we move to England and Mont St. Michael. Quote, continuing along the sword, we arrive at Mount, Mount St. Michael in Cornwall, England, evoking both the rocky greenery of Skellig Michael and the breathtaking architecture of Mont Saint-Michel on the opposite side of the channel. Mont Saint-Michel is accessible by a thin natural causeway similar to its counterpart in Normandy. The island is situated 365 meters from the shore of Mounts Bay, on the Cornwall coast of the English Channel, almost 400 kilometers southeast of Skellig Michael and 300 kilometers across the channel to Mont Saint-Michel. Which, cue the music, Mont Saint-Michel, what is this? So, situated in the northwest region of France is Normandy, long a place of great historical importance. And... The, the origins of Mont Saint-Michel, which is this large abbey and, but also small walled city that, that sits on this, on this, uh, this, this sandbar, essentially, out in the water, especially when the tide rises, the, uh, the lone surviving narrative, as the book explains, of the founding of this most impressive monastery is the hagiographic 9th century work Revelatio Ecclesiae Sancti Michaelis. And the summary of the account is as follows. In the time of King Childebert III, 708, St. Michael appeared to the Bishop Albert of the Diocese of Avranche, 
three times requesting the building of sanctuary in his name, in the manner as at Monte Gargano. Like the Bishop of Sepanto, Albert hesitated until in his third apparition, Michael nudged Albert on the side of the head with his finger, so much so it left a dent, or so goes the legend. To this day, St. Gervais Basilica in Avranches houses a relic of Albert's skull with visible indentation. So this is also this also happened to the, the to the bishop at Monte Gargano. He he didn't really listen to Saint Michael. So I think the the key takeaway here is that if if you have a apparition of, of Saint Michael, then just listen to what he says, man. <laughs> just follow his follow his instructions. Back to the book, and get the book. It's a good one. Michael instructed Albert to build the sanctuary atop Mont Tum a rocky inlet one kilometer off the Normandy coast, accessible by a natural causeway at low tide. The church's construction proceeded not without a gift from the abbot of Mont Gargano to establish a confraternity between the two shrines. The abbot gave two relics left by Michael at Gargano, a piece of the red cloth from the mystical Gargano altar and a piece of marble on which the archangel had stood. The Revelatio then details numerous miracles that transpired because of these relics. Finally, with 12 canons regular established at the Simple Monastery, Mont Saint-Michel was dedicated on October 16th. The next part of the sword is Sacra di Saint-Michele. Now, this is located uh, in the Cotsian Alps, where... Sacra di San Michel is in Piedmont's Val de Souza, 30 kilometers from the Cathedral of San Giovanni Battista, home of the Shroud of Turin. So that is the location. And it's uh, if you're looking at some of the pictures online, it is a majestic and towering monastery. There's, a, there's an image of it where the in the Alps, snow-covered in winter, and it just looks awesome beautiful. The next chain in the sword is Archangel Michael of Panoramitis Monastery. Situated on an island like most of the sanctuaries that make up the sword of St. Michael, this monastery is located on the island of Simi, part of the Dodecanese Islands in the southeastern Aegean Sea near Rhode. And it is a, a smaller monastery and it has a beautiful red-tiled roofs and stone masonry. The next one is Stella Maris Monastery. And this will conclude the Sword of St. Michael after venturing over 4,000 kilometers to finally reaching, appropriately, the Holy Land. Located in Haifa, the promontory 150 kilometers north of Jerusalem on the Mediterranean, this particular monastery is traditionally included in the Sword of St. Michael, despite being less devoted specifically to St. Michael and more a nexus of Catholic themes. So I think that's just really neat, this, uh, this geographic feature of the sword just leaving an imprint on Europe. So definitely look into it some more to, to get the full effect. Now, moving on in terms of St. Michael's presence in the Catholic Church. So, specifically in the 19th century, there was the vision of Pope Leo the Thirteenth, 
So, uh, taking us into that account, the author describes how Father Domenico Pohenio describes an unusual spiritual experience of Pope Leo XIII on October 13, 1884. Quote, One morning the great Pope Leo XIII had celebrated a Mass and, as usual, was attending a Mass of Thanksgiving. Suddenly, we saw him raise his head and stare at something above the celebrant's head. He was staring motionlessly, without batting an eye. His expression was one of horror and awe. The color and look on his face changing rapidly. Something unusual and grave was happening in him. End quote. Other accounts assert the Pope was the principal celebrant in his private chapel in the Vatican when the incident occurred. In any event, Pope Leo XIII, six years into his pontificate and at the age of 74, fell into trance-like state at the foot of the altar. Frozen, unmoving, his face terrified. Aides feared he was suffering some kind of paralytic seizure, not unlike those experienced by Pius IX throughout his life. Now, ten minutes later, Leo recovered, but was no more relaxed. It was as if something was bottled inside of him and he needed to expunge it. What resulted that day was the composition of the prayer to St. Michael, a much-needed exhortation from the Vicar of Christ himself, an almost personal appeal from the successor of St. Peter on the behalf of his global flock. And the prayer goes as follows. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who wander through the world for the ruin of souls. Amen. This invocation was given such importance, it was among the rare non-liturgical elements added to the Mass, included as part of the Leonine prayers recited at the foot of the altar. Catholics around the world recited the prayer after Mass, mass until the 1960s. According to a 1946 pastoral letter to the Diocese of Bologna, Cardinal Nassali Rocca wrote, Pope Leo XIII would recite that prayer with strong and a powerful voice. We heard it many a time in the Vatican Basilica. The author goes on to ask, but what transfixed Leo at the foot of the altar? A popular story around this time described the Pope hearing two voices, one guttural and one gentle, emanate from the tabernacle area, which he deemed to be one of Satan and the one of our Lord. Um, and essentially, the author goes on to quote that the guttural voice was Satan, boasting, I can destroy the church. The gentle voice of the Lord said, you can, then go ahead and do so. Satan said, to do so, I need more time and more power. Our Lord said, how much time? How much power? Seventy-five to one hundred years and a greater power over those who will give themselves over to my service. The Lord said, you have the time. You will have the power. Do with them what you will. And uh, that is the end of the account and the author goes on to say, well, it may be interesting to try to calculate the time frame granted to Satan for his feckless goal or to debate the authenticity of the exchange. Leo XIII's Thir immense contribution to spiritual combat resulted in an explosive resurgence in devotion to St. Michael. Just as a secular rebellion, a questioning of things divine began to take shape. And his private secretary later claimed Leo foresaw demonic forces descending upon Rome in another supernatural encounter. 
And Cardinal Rocca, in another pastoral letter, said, quote, Leo XIII also personally wrote an exorcism that is included in the Roman ritual, 1954 edition, and he recommended that bishops and priests read these exorcisms often in their dioceses and parishes. He himself would recite them often throughout the day. And another another devotion to St. Michael that was developed was the Chaplet of St. Michael, which is one of my personal favorite prayers, prayed every day. Now, the history of the Chaplet derives from a tradition regarding a Portuguese Carmelite nun, Antonia de Astanaco, who experienced a private revelation sometime in the 1750s. In her revelation, St. Michael appeared and provided Sister Antonia the formula for praying the chaplet, which includes nine salutations for each of the choir of angels. St. Michael promised that whoever would practice this devotion in his honor would have, when approaching Holy Communion, an escort of nine angels chosen from each of the nine choirs. In addition to those who would recite the chaplet daily, he promised his continual assistance and that of all the holy angels during life, and after death, deliverance from purgatory for themselves and their relations. It's a very powerful. Now, the details of the life of Sister Antonia de Astanaco are scant, yet she is a servant of God, meaning her cause for sainthood has been formally opened. In 1851, Pope Pius IX approved the use of the chaplet of St. Michael with the following indulgences. A hundred days for every day on which the chaplet is worn, or the medal of angels attached to it is kissed, comma, seven years in quarantines for each recital, and for daily recital, a plenary every month, and on four feast days in that year, end quote. A year before his death, Pius IX insisted those priests capable of blessing objects must include the chaplet of St. Michael. So, all the more reason to pray it. It's a great devotion. It's a great prayer. So, look into it. Now, another appearance by St. Michael is in the Fatima Visions. So, during the year 1917, when the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared to the three children at Fatima, there was a vision that was given to the children, and there was an angel that appeared in it. So, a uh, quote in the book is, After the two parts, which I have already explained, at the left of Our Lady and a little above, we saw an angel with a flaming sword in his left hand, flashing. It gave out flames that looked as though they would set the world on fire, but they died out in contact with the splendor that Our Lady radiated towards him w- from her right hand, pointing to the earth with his right hand, the angel cried out in a loud voice, Penance, penance, penance. End quote. And also just a, another note is a prayer that I have started doing in the morning is uh, something I learned from Dr. Ralph Martin on Pints with Aquinas, where th- the angel that appeared to the children in the beginning of the apparitions taught them to uh, get down on their hands and knees, and to pray, My God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love thee. I ask pardon and mercy for those who do not believe, who do not adore, who do not hope, and who do not love thee. And saying that three times, and I think it is a 
a great thing to do in the morning just to set your mind right for the day and rekindle that relationship with God. Now, back to the Fatima Visions. So, in July 13th, 1917, the book goes on to say, uh, this vision was one in a number of monthly experiences the three children encountered at the Cova de Iria, culminating in the famous miracle of the sun. Witnessed by 70,000 people on October 13th, 1917, 33 years to the date of Leo XIII's vision that inspired the prayer to St. Michael. The phenomena at Fatima was a welcomed burst of light amid the fog of war, for this was the time of the Great War, World War I, 1914-1918, the cataclysmic conflict that besieged and afflicted countries that only a century before shrugged off their heritage and declared themselves liberated from the arcane governance of monarchies. A very bloody war. Now, one of the soldiers that was that took part in World War One, a sickly cap- capuchin in the Italian Medical Corps, was named Private Francesco Forgione. Born in 1887 in Petrodel, Italy, the young man was ordained a priest in 1910. Drafted at the outset of the war in 1914, medical issues forced Private Forgione out of the service for a time before returning in 1917. A few months after his permanent discharge in March 1918, this Capuchin friar began to experience the highly unusual and mystical experience of the stigmata. Based at Our Lady of Grace Capuchin Friary in the Gargano Mountains, near the sanctuary of Monte Sant'Angelo, the friar would not only often visit the grotto dedicated to St. Michael, but would also send penitents there as well. And this veteran of the Great War, who died in 1968, was better known throughout the world as Padre Pio. Now, Moving on to World War II and Michael's presence to the, the people in that conflict. So, for the paratroopers, especially in the U.S. Army, St. Michael earned the title of the patron for paratroopers, namely the 82nd Airborne Division, as the book goes on to say, the infantry division of the United States Army, whose deployment from the sky dramatically helped secure Allied victory. The images of brave troops ominously descending onto earth were not unlike the fallen angels cast out of heaven. Only this time, these members of the greatest generation fought on the side of good. The soldiers were arriving to quash one of the most dangerous manifestations of mass evil the world had ever seen. And a member of the 82nd Airborne, Guy LaFaro, who was a combat veteran and former professor of history at West Point, authored a sprawling account of the 82nd Airborne Division titled The Sword of St. Michael. And it's not well known, but the the Airborne's the Airborne Division's devotion to St. Michael continues on to this day and is celebrated annually with what is dubbed as St. Michael's Day Jump, which I just I just want to get in on that. I, I, how do I sign up? Where do I go? Please tell me. It sounds great. So what is this? So this is a tradition of the 82nd Airborne, and the event emphasizes not only the division's attachment to St. Michael, but also the spiritual component of their role as paratroopers. Chaplains instruct the paratroopers on the historicity of the day's jump, educate the troops on the role of St. Michael himself throughout history, and 
the date of St. Michael's Day jump is none other than, wait for it, May 8th. Yes, that is correct. May 8th is the day of the jump. So, St. Michael is, uh, he is a, he is a warrior. He is a, a angel, an archangel that uh, fought against the devil. So, for any soldiers out there, he is a great patron. And not only is it for soldiers, but he is also the patron of many other roles and jobs, including paramedics, mariners, grocers, and doctors, but also the patron of police officers. And that prayer that you heard in the beginning of the podcast is an anonymous policeman's prayer to St. Michael. And I, I imagine this being created originally by an Irishman or an immigrant from Ireland who, who, uh, who was, was asking for St. Michael's intercession in his, in his job and occupation, uh, just with the, the use of nightsticks. So every time I, I read this, I, I can just imagine it being said with a, with an Irish accent from a, from an Irish policeman, perhaps in the, in the old city of Boston. So, and not only has St. Michael been present to Christians throughout these apparitions and different shrines and the sword of St. Michael, but also in the liturgy, especially on his feast day. So, September 29th, the feast day of St. Michael, which, known as Michaelmas Day, as described in the book, was considered so major a feast, especially in pre-Reformation England and Ireland, that it was sanctioned a holy day of obligation until the 17th century. The 1962 Roman Missal contains the beautiful propers on Michaelmas Day, here translated in English. The Collect, O God, who wondrously directs the services of angels and men, grant that our lives on earth may be guarded by the angels who stand ever before your face, ministering to you in heaven. And the Alleluia, 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 Holy Archangel Michael, defend us in battle, that we may not perish in the dreaded judgment. Alleluia. Post-communion, we rely on the prayers of the blessed Archangel Michael, O Lord, that the sacrament which we have received upon our lips may always remain in our hearts. And also, in the Confitior of the Extraordinary Form, Michael is among the elect implored by the faithful. And I know this every time I uh, go to Mass, the the confession of the confitior his name is one of the saints that you pray and ask for their intercession to god for the forgiveness of your sins uh, also as the book goes on to say after the priest incenses the altar the server then incenses the gathered including the faithful in this solemn act of offertory here the prayers of michael and all the holy ones are invoked as in the confitior uniting penitent with the sacrifice it also recalls the image from Revelation, quote, The smoke of the incense rose with the prayers of the saints from the hand of the angel before God, end quote. This is not a mere gesture of piety, but encompasses Michael's prime roles and mission as guardian, protector, and messenger. Catholic art has frequently depicted the invisible multitude of angels, saints, and blessed gathered, if not hovering around the altar in eager anticipation to join the faithful in prayer and thanksgiving, particularly at the consecration. And, for example, 
at a requiem mass for the dead, St. Michael is specifically mentioned, quote, O Lord Jesus Christ, King of glory, deliver the souls of all the faithfully departed from the pains of hell and from the bottomless pit. Deliver them from the lion's mouth, that hell swallow them not up, that they fall not into darkness, but let the standard-bearer, Holy Michael, lead them into that light, which thou didst promise of old to Abraham and to his seed. And also in the Byzantine rite of the liturgy, there is a concluding chant of the Akathist hymn for St. Michael, which is a lengthy, detailed hymn dedicated to a specific saint or event, and it implores, quote, Archangel Michael, we are attacked day and night by the evil enemy of God, by that arrogant liar and vile destroyer of souls, by that serpent which through falsehood and foolishness desires to rob the Holy Church of her faithful. We come to you, O leader of the archangels and angels, in our need for defense against unbelief and for enlightenment over doubt. Grant us shelter beneath your strong and glorious wings that we may discern and overcome all temptations and attacks. Help us to live in fidelity to our mother, the church, and to our father in heaven. Amen. Now, one of the last things that St. Michael is associated with in the church, and very fittingly, is death. So, the book explains that in Jewish eschatology, Michael is the guide of souls in death. He is the one who will sound the trumpet for the dead to rise. This belief continues in the Christian tradition, as through one's life, St. Michael's role at the hour of death is also associated with safeguarding and protection. These last moments of earthly life offer one final opportunity for Satan to unleash and attack the last chance to bring souls to the netherworld. Now, the church urges recitation of the Holy Mary, invocation to St. Michael, and the prayers to St. Joseph for a happy and holy death. Here in the Trinity of Saints, the dying are entrusted as penitents brought before the merciful love of the triune God. In the 1962 rite, quote, right for commending a departing soul, end quote, the priest prays over the dying, quote, let him, her, be welcomed by St. Michael, the archangel of God, who has won the leadership of the heavenly host, end quote. And in the extraordinary form, Mass for the Dead prayer at the offertory also implores, quote, may the standard bearer, St. Michael, lead them into the holy light, end quote. Also, Michael is depicted holding scales to represent wisdom, and St. Louis de Montfort calls upon an anecdote with this image. So, in his Secret of the Rosary, de Montfort, whose devotion of total consecration to Jesus through Mary has developed a large following in modern times, relates an anecdote regarding a certain pious but self-willed lady from Rome. He writes, Later on, when she was at prayer, she fell into ecstasy and had a vision of her soul appearing before the Supreme Judge. St. Michael put all her penances and the other prayers on one side of the scales and all her sins and imperfections on the other. The tray of her good works was greatly outweighed by that of her sins and imperfections. End quote. Now, regarding the end times, we have a, a cameo by St. Michael. Quote, But you, Daniel... Shut up the words and seal the book until the end of time. Many shall run back and forth, and knowledge shall increase. End quote. 
And this, the prophet Daniel is being told in chapter 12 of the book of Daniel. Now, what is the message that Daniel is told to keep secret? And as we read earlier, quote, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who was charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been seen since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, every one whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So this is what we read earlier when talking about St. Michael being the guardian of Israel, the protector of Israel. And so this leads us back to death and how at the moment of our death, St. Michael is playing a key role. And so it's, it is a great thing to ask for his intercession throughout our lives. Now, uh, just kind of uh, concluding at the end of this book, the author talks about how, how we should interact with this archangel, with St. Michael. So he goes on to say that St. Michael challenges us. He challenges us by his very name, Quis Ut Deus, who is like God. Our modern age might suggest any number of options to answer that question, but it is a verse from the psalmist which has the best response, quote, For who is God but the Lord? Psalm 18. We are challenged to overcome the allure of the worship of graven images and idols in place of God. Relativism excuses any kind of behavior under the banner of one's personal truth. In this way, one's ego may become one's God. Michael's fearlessness to confront evil is a challenge for us to cultivate an interior life and to discern spirits, to determine what is of God and what is not. Michael challenges us to better understand the Mass, to become more involved in contemplation of the Paschal Mystery and wonder at the Incarnation. He challenges us to reverence, to step out of ourselves, and in the silence of our daily prayer ask, What do you want from me, God? So, I think that is great advice and very inspirational for us as we are seeking to grow in in holiness, become better men and women of God. And a last thing that the author says is he brings us back to Father Martin Van Kochem's treatise on the four last things. And he says that, quote, In his explication on the final judgment, Father Kochem references St. Paul's letter to the Romans, quote, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. Father Calcum suggests St. Michael will present the, re- the unrepentant before Christ, and Lucifer will accuse all of mankind to receive the same condemnation as he did when cast from paradise. Then postulates Father Calcum, each will be led by their guardian angel to the, gu- to the judgment seat, with the enemy bringing forward every charge against them. The accused will be defended by his or her guardian angel and set all good deeds on the scales of divine justice. And if they are not too light, Christ will array him in the new robe, the garment of splendor, and crown him with the diadem of the eternal kingdom. 
In the ensuing ascension of the good into everlasting glory, Father Cochran believes St. Michael, quote, will head the glorious procession carrying the cross whereon Christ died, end quote. While such events remain to be seen, perhaps the book of Sirach offers simple instruction on how to best prepare for the inevitable four last things. Quote, In whatever you do, remember your last days, and you will never sin. End quote. And that is an end to the book that we covered. Once again, this is St. Michael the Archangel by James F. Day. So, very short book compared to others. It's only about 100 pages of reading, but in it is packed a whole lot of good stuff. History on St. Michael, and just reading it, it was a, a uh, uh, forgive the pun, but a revelation on St. Michael's role, and I think especially that last part where he mentions the, the role of our guardian angel, so often forgotten by us, just hanging around, looking out for us, making sure we don't trip over the, the, the sidewalk block, and, uh, and also many other things, uh, praying for us. Uh, they, they play an important role, and so St. Michael is part of that, that hierarchy of angels that is, that is helping us to, to grow in relationship with the Father. So there we go. That was the book. And uh, just to kind of touch on some other lessons or takeaways uh, that we can have from St. Michael, I think one of them is obedience. So listening to God's word and command. Next is courage in the face of evil. He absolutely exemplifies that by fighting against the devil, by, by standing up for the kingdom of, of God and the kingdom of heaven. Uh, but also humility. His name is a question. Who is like God? He's not saying that I am God or that I am a great angel, but he is. the name is saying that God is my creator and he is the greatest good. He is, he is the most perfect being in all of this created universe that he has made, and I am but his humble servant. And he does serve God. He, he helps the the Jewish people. He helps us as, as Christians in our faith throughout all the, the whole history of the church, through various times and apparitions. Um, and then I think the other example, the last one, is that God protects his people. That through St. Michael, as, an ex- as just one example, one small example, God is giving us grace. He is giving us opportunities to to persevere throughout this life, to run the race well, and to walk that narrow path onto heaven. So I think that is a couple good things to note on and to remember as we go about our weekend in this next week. So that is a, a, a little exposition about St. Michael. And I think uh, before we move on to the next segment, let's ask for the intercession of St. Michael. So we pray, St. Michael, the Archangel, please pray for us and guide us on our earthly journey and protect us from all evil spirits, from the devil, any temptations. Keep us uh, virtuous and pure and seeking God's commandments and seeking his love. Amen. 
All right. Now, I just wanted to note, uh, I mean, St. Michael is probably one of my favorite saints. And, of course, I am named Michael. So thank you, Mom. That was a, that was a great idea. R- appreciate that. Big shout out to uh, Mama Hanlon. Uh, she is a wonderful woman. So, uh, but yes, and uh, also, um, I think another fun thing to note is his feast day, Michaelmas, which there is a couple, if you're wondering, okay, all right, September 29th, got it. How am I supposed to celebrate that? Like, what, what's what's going on? You know, we have Christmas. Okay, we we got the Christmas cookies. We got all the all the decorations, all this other traditions and stuff. But Michaelmas, one thing you can do, and you should start with food. That's a great way to, to celebrate these things. Feast is blackberry pie. So there is, uh, just kind of looking on here, catholicicing.com. Michael Miss Blackberry Pie. So what is this? So uh, according to legend, when St. Michael cast Lucifer out of hell, he landed in a prickly blackberry bush and was so mad that he spit upon the blackberries and he cursed them and they turned sour. And so since this happened on the Feast of St. Michael, it's traditional to pick blackberries before that date when Satan curses them and they're no good. So as a as a way to celebrate St. Michael's feast day, Michaelmas all the more, you can get blackberries, you can make a pie, you can make a cobbler, whatever you want, uh, celebrate it that way. Uh, also, you can uh, have a, a goose, you can have carrots, uh, bannock, uh, just reading here, some of those, some of those foods. So uh, those are some ideas for you. And uh, some other notable prayers uh, or artwork of St. Michael. So one of my favorite, I think my favorite image of St. Michael is done by a great Catholic artist, Daniel Mitsui. That's M-I-T-S-U-I. And if you just search his name, you should be able to find it. And he makes all sorts of great traditional illumination manuscript style artwork and paintings. And one of them is St. Michael uh, defeating the devil, casting him out of heaven. And it's this Japanese-style image where you have St. Michael with the samurai sword. He's dressed in samurai garb. And the devil is, 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 a, is a Japanese dragon, a, a, a oriental, very eastern depiction of, of Satan as a dragon. So I got that on my phone a lock screen. It's great. Uh, maybe one day I'll I'll have the money to purchase a full poster and, and put that up or maybe get an icon of that. So that would be great. And then uh, another fun thing to look into is St. Michael's Church in Hammerfest, Norway. That's right. Hammerfest, Norway. And it is the northernmost Catholic church in the world. So look it up. It does have a a more kind of modernistic uh, 60s, 70s architecture, but it's still it's still pretty neat that the northernmost Catholic church is St. Michael. And uh, that also makes me think of, of the northern Russian port city of, of Archangel, uh, named after Archangel Michael. So, but anywho, uh, moving on to tobacco... So what the heck does uh, tobacco have to do with, with this podcast? Well, I, I started my little hobby of, of pipes and cigars 
back in the summer of 2021. So one day, I don't know, maybe I just got the bug or or something for that from a YouTube video that I discovered. And from then on, I went on a YouTube rabbit hole of just watching all sorts of, of pipe videos. Uh, Mutton Chop Piper, who has this great, very, very deep Kentucky drawl. Hey there, folks. Mutton Chop Piper here. And then another one is Get Piped, which is has a younger guy, and probably around my age, although probably a little bit older, and uh, he makes some good content. So I started watching all these videos, and it looked cool, and I just, I liked the idea of myself smoking a pipe, thinking pensively, and when I when I bought my first pipe, which was a, a Missouri Meerschaum Corn Cob, the Gentleman, Country Gentleman, I, I, I got it. And I, I, I got just, I think from a local tobacco store, some, some vanilla tobacco, just stock standard aromatic. And I, I got it to an outdoor uh, table near my apartment and I smoked it for the first time, you know, trying to remember all the things that you're told. It's, it's, it's like there's 10 steps to get it lit and I'm trying to do it perfectly. And, and, uh, finally I, I get it to work and I just has this calming effect and it it slows me down when i when i smoke a pipe the 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 ritual of it the the process of packing of of securing it in there of of even taking the tobacco out of the the can or the canister that you have it loaded in and placing it on a, a piece of paper or a special square leather holder and letting it breathe because it's been in that canister for a while, so letting the, the the oxygen get to it, spread it out before loading it into the pipe. Um, and another neat thing, as I was getting into this pipe smoking tobacco hobby, was that in my family history, my great grandfather on my mother's side, who was French Canadian, yeah, he was uh, he was he was a Jean Guy, the French Canadian, and he smoked a pipe. And that would be one of his his main activities at the end of the day. And he was a dairy farmer out in uh, uh, up up in northern Maine. So he would get done with the day, and then he would have his time smoking his pipe. And no one was allowed to bother him in that moment. So I thought that was cool. And uh, and then for cigars, I. I was planning on walking the Camino, which I did, praise God, in the summer of 2022. And before, I had this great idea of, okay, when I get onto the Camino at the start place in San Jean Pitapur, I want to smoke a cigar at the beginning, and then I want to smoke a cigar at the end, just to, just to celebrate it. And I'd never smoked a cigar before, so I was thinking, all right, what do I do? What's, what's, what's a good cigar? How, how does this work? And so I just started doing online research watching videos and i i picked up a spanish cedar humidor and then bought a a couple of cigars from famous smoke shop online and brought that with me on the camino and i (laughs) i actually didn't get to smoke it until about halfway through just because of how busy things were and and walking and just all this unexpected stuff but i finally did get to smoke it halfway through and it was delicious it was a drew estate a drew estate tobacco especial which tastes just like a cappuccino it is 
it is delicious and um but be careful that you have something in your stomach that you've eaten because that nicotine is no joke it will it will lay you down it will it will it will it will cause you to need to take a nap so that was a little bit about my background for tobacco, pipes, cigars, how I got into it. Now, I wanted to read a quote from none other than G.K. Chesterton on this topic. And he once remarked that, quote, The Catholic Church is like a thick steak, a glass of wine, and a good cigar. End quote. And the author who I found this quote from, he remarks that, simply put, Chesterton saw something to be savored he saw truth as a juicy, thick, perfectly cooked steak, something you could really seek your teeth into. He saw beauty as a fine glass of French burgundy, something delicate, robust, and timeless. He saw goodness as the smoky taste of toasted tobacco, something satisfying, mystifying, and captivating. And I can certainly relate to all of this because at the beginning of my pipe smoking, I... I had no idea what I was doing, and to a certain extent, I still don't know what I'm doing in regards to to uh, pipe smoking and cigar smoking. I'm still learning, but that aspect of of it being mystifying but also captivating is true. Where it's sometimes it's hard to tell what the flavor of a of a tobacco is, uh, but at the same time, there's there's something there that you're you're slowly understanding as you smoke it and taste it some more that it leaves you captivated and satisfied. And much like the Catholic Church, there's many things in the faith that are not immediately apparent, but as you as you give it time, as you as you read and try to understand it some more, it it is revealed something powerful and something that is life-giving. So Anyways, uh, to the question of St. Michael and what sort of tobacco he would have smoked, I think St. Michael, he is an angel, right? So he's incorporeal, so it's unlikely that he would smoke tobacco. But let's, let's say that somehow um, he was able to. Then I think he would have smoked Latakia, a Latakia blend of tobacco. And I think the reason why is because Latakia, which... Funnily enough, one of the places that it is grown is in Syria, and it's named after a a, uh, a place in Syria, Latakia, and that is near the Holy Land, So, and also near the monastery in Haifa as part of the Sword of St. Michael. So there's, a, there's some connection there already, and the, the tobacco, when smoked, generally has a, a savory and spicy element to it. So... Uh, thinking about St. Michael, you know, casting the devil out of heaven and fighting on behalf of the the nation of Israel, guardian, protector, warrior. I think that I think that 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 relates to uh the the idea of a, of a spicy tobacco, you know, something with with a little bit of bite. And uh I think that exemplifies St. Michael. Now, bringing us over to the cigar side of the house. I think a a uh, a cigar that would be a, a good theme for St. Michael would be actually from Regina Cigars. They have a Honduran blend uh, tobacco uh, that they that they wrap into a cigar, and they they call it the 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 Michael uh, cigar, and it has a Corojo wrapper, 
and uh, they say that it has a sweet and earthly flavor with subtle notes of baking spices, baking spices. So if you're if you're into baking spices like turmeric and you know coriander and all that good stuff, then this is the stuff for you. Uh, it has a medium to medium plus flavor, and uh, it is it is definitely on my wish list for a cigar. And they have a beautiful wrapper, so uh, definitely check out their website and support uh, a good Catholic business out there. So, uh, but in terms of tobacco, I, I think that'll that'll do us. So, uh, you know, this week uh, I've been uh, I've I've gotten back from a road trip recently. And so I'm just settling in from that, uh, but actually going to be uh, getting this podcast going here. And uh, as part of that, I've kind of looked into different news stories about uh, upcoming canonizations or 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 members of the, of the Catholic Church in the past who have been recently uh, canonized or they're on their way to sainthood. And one recent story that I found from the CatholicSun.org talked about how Pope Francis just recently um, uh, recognized a miracle attributed to the intercession of Blessed Maria Antonia de Paz Figuero, who was a 18th century consecrated laywoman from Argentina. So they announced on October 24th this news and a little bit about her. Apparently she was a, a, a student and later master of Ignatian spiritual exercises. And after the Jesuits were expelled from Argentina... She continued to lead these Ignatian retreats, and she was affectionately known as Mama Antula. So, ah, and she she also consecrated herself to God at the age of 15, choosing to dress in a black robe and taking the name Maria Antonia of St. Joseph. Now, God bless her. That is some commitment there. That is awesome. So I hope that her canonization process proceeds along without too many bumps, and uh, maybe one day she will be St. Antonia. Um, all right. Well, I think that is, uh, the end for this podcast. So thank you for listening to the first episode of Smoking with the Saints. Uh, I would very much appreciate any listener feedback, any suggestions you have, any critiques and things that can be approved upon. Uh, just let me know. You can go to smokingwiththesaints.com or email smokewithsaints at gmail.com. That's smokewithsaints at gmail.com. And on the website, there's uh, there's comment sections where you can leave a note. So just uh, come in uh, for a suggestion or just say hi, and uh, that'll be great. So check it out. And also, uh, I wanted to give a special shout-out to some of the other podcasts that I've been inspired by to start this uh, podcast. And that, of course, the primary one is Pints with Aquinas, Matt Fred, open in, over in the Ville in uh, Steubenville, Ohio. So uh, I listen to his stuff all the time, and it is fantastic, very inspirational. Uh, a lot of the, the devotions and uh, things I've learned about the faith have been from that podcast. So shout out to him on Thursday. And then I also wanted to uh, give a special shout-out to a friend of mine, Thaddeus Hughes, who has a podcast called Machina X Deo. And he has a website, and he posts all sorts of really neat, cool stuff about engineering, about theology, about philosophy. So he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a big thinker, and he's, he's done some 
uh, pretty neat stuff. Met him in New Hampshire, and uh, currently he's out in Indiana doing uh, farm work. But he's he's got he's got a lot of things. He's got a lot of projects that he's doing. So check out his stuff. And uh, of course, uh, if you like, leave a review on Apple Podcasts wherever you're listening to this, uh, and uh, just to help the podcast grow. Uh, and check out the website. If if you find me on social media, follow me on there. Follow the podcast. And uh, in the show notes, I'll have a couple links to some of the things that I mentioned, like the book, like Pints of Aquinas, Mikey Next Deo podcast, uh, maybe even some uh, images of the Sword of St. Michael. So uh, you can check them out in the show notes. So once again, thank you very much for listening to Smoking with the Saints. And I hope that you have a lovely day. Shalom. Warning, tobacco may have been burnt in the making of this episode.